You know that feeling? That pit in your stomach and it rises and crawls up your spine? That feeling you get when you're about to do something that you've never done before and you know it's going to be difficult. You know, like going up to the person that you like and asking them out for the very first time. Or going into your very first job interview. I remember when I was a teenager, um, I went to Minneapolis with my church, and the whole purpose of us going up there was so that we could go out on the streets of Minneapolis and share the good news that Jesus loves people and welcomes them into his kingdom. Now, I was, and still am, a shy introvert. And so, this quite possibly could be the most terrifying thing I could ever imagine. Going up to strangers and talking to them, and with a message that I know could bring offense. Honestly, it felt like my heart kind of sank into my stomach. It felt like I was going to throw up. How could I possibly do this? Well, listen in as we hear about Jesus about to embark on the most difficult thing you could possibly imagine. Listen to how he feels, how he reacts, and what he does. Then Jesus went out across the Kidron Valley, as usual, to the Mount of Olives with his disciples following him, to a place called Gethsemane, where there was a garden. And he said to them, sit here while I go over and pray, and pray that you will not fall into temptation. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and fell to his face, his face to the ground and prayed, Father, 
Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. strengthened him and being in anguish he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground then he rose from prayer and returned to his disciples and found them sleeping Simon couldn't you men watch with me for one hour he asked Peter watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak he went away a second time and prayed the same thing. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy, and they didn't know what to say to him. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! Look! The hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise! Let's go! Here comes my betrayer. So we enter the time immediately preceding the betrayal, arrest, trial, and crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus goes to a familiar place, a garden, a place he's gathered with his friends many times to pray. And he takes the inner three, Peter, James, and John, and he confides in them. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus tells his friends that his soul is engulfed with sorrow and affliction. The original word that Jesus used is perilupas. Lupas meaning deeply grieved or afflicted. 
and peri, meaning surrounded, where we get the word perimeter. So literally, he's saying, my soul is surrounded by sorrow. So much so that he feels like he is dying. He continues a little further and he falls on his face and he cries out, Father, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. It's in this prayer that we begin to see the extent of the anguish in Christ's soul. He is feeling the incredible weight, the terrible agony of the suffering he's about to encounter in the cup that he's about to drink. And so as we walk through this moment in Christ's life, I hope to help us appreciate a few things about the cup that is set before Jesus. We'll look at three things. First, how Jesus perceives the cup his reaction to the cup, and why this cup is good news for us. So how does Jesus perceive this cup that's set before him? Well, one way is that it's been set before him the entire time. For example, after Peter gave the great confession of faith, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Matthew says that from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, scribes, and be killed on the third day, be raised. And again, later in chapter 20, Matthew says that Jesus says, see, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And there are countless other places it can be shown, such as Luke 12, 50, where he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. And in the book of John, Jesus refers to it as the hour, his hour. You remember when Jesus goes to the wedding in Cana and his mother talks to him and he, and he says, Mother, my hour has not yet come. And Jesus makes reference to this hour as future tense, future tense. It's not here. It's coming. And now he says, the hour has come. So Jesus has always had his eye set on this cup. But as he moves forward, and as he gathers closer to this time, something changes in his perception. As Jonathan Edwards put it, he says, It seems that at this time, God gave Jesus an extraordinary view of this cup, a sense of the wrath that was to be poured out upon him, and those amazing sufferings that he was to undergo. They were so strongly impressed on his mind by the immediate power of God so that he had far more a full and lively apprehension of the bitterness of the cup which he was to drink 
than he ever had before. So much so that his feeble nature shrunk at the sight and was ready to sink. It's like Jesus could look at the cup like this without his glasses and suddenly the Father has given him glasses and he can see for the first time what this cup really means. And as he sees the cup, his reaction to this cup is one of absolute horror and grief. Jonathan Edwards continues and he says, God the Father did, as it were, set the cup down before him so that he could take it and drink it. And dread spread over him, which caused his feeble human nature to shrink at that dreadful cup. He had then a nearer view of that furnace of God's wrath into which he was going to be cast. He was brought to the mouth of the furnace that he might look into it, stand and view its raging flames and see the glowings of its heat that he might know where he was going and what he was about to suffer. This was the thing that filled his soul with sorrow and darkness. What Jonathan Edwards is trying to say is this terrible sight at this cup was too much for Jesus to bear. And horror overwhelmed him. If his suffering were like a dark cloud casting a shadow, that shadow now is covering his soul in complete and utter darkness. So much so that it has become to him like a shadow of death. And the agony is so sharp and so deep that Luke recalls Jesus being in anguish, prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The original here is thromboi, amatias, where we get the word thrombus or blood clot and where we get hematology or blood. So in other words, what really is coming out is this congealed blood, blood clots flowing out of Jesus' pores. It's like the turmoil inside of Jesus is so much that it's literally pushing the blood out of his skin like a volcano that's erupting because of the pressure underneath the earth's crust. And it congeals and descends onto the ground in clots. And yet, as much as you can imagine the toil, the turmoil, the anguish that Jesus is feeling, he still is determined to drink the cup. At first, in the overwhelming power of those terrors, Jesus cries out in prayer saying, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So the cup 
is so terrible that he asks that it be taken away. If, it's, if there's any way this can be taken away, please take it. And yet even here, he submits his earthly will to that of his father. And in response to this prayer, the father sends an angel to strengthen him. And then it's at this time that the overwhelming anguish causes these clots to pour out of Christ's body. And Luke says that he prays even more earnestly. But listen to Matthew as he recalls the content of the second prayer. He says, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. I don't know about you, but every time I've read these accounts, I had assumed that Jesus asks that the cup be taken from him three times. But if we listen carefully, Jesus changes the way he prays. He no longer says, Father, if there's any way possible, take this cup away. Instead, he says, Father, if there is no other way, unless I drink it, may your will be done. He is determined to drink the cup. Now, we might want to ask the question, why? Why did God... Give Jesus glasses so that he could see for the first time in living color the horrors of the wrath that was to come. Why? I think there's two reasons. God brought this suffering into Christ's perception so that Jesus could face down the suffering and consciously choose to endure it. It's one thing for a person to enter suffering surprisingly or unknowingly, like you get in an accident and you weren't expecting that. It's another thing to go into suffering knowing full well what is about to happen. The latter requires a deliberate, conscious choice. And that is what Jesus needed in order to perfect his love for you. He, he understands these sufferings and he steps forward voluntarily on his own initiative as an act of his own will. Jesus, understanding the full horrors of sin and death and hell that await him, and yet his love for you, Ironworks Church, is greater. And it propels him to push into those sufferings, into them and through them. Christ's soul was in so much agony that it manifests in such a weird effect on his physical body, but his love for each and every one of you is still stronger. <clears throat> he saw it and willingly took it. It's as if it were as if he were to say to, to God the Father, 
If this must happen in order for our covenant love to be fulfilled, then let's go. Let's do it. Jesus ardently presses through the unbelievable view of suffering and the terror into the love that he has for each and every one of you. The other reason why God revealed these sufferings to Jesus in such a vivid and lively way is so that he could exercise his office as a high priest as we enter into our sufferings. As the author of Hebrews states in chapter 5, in the days of his flesh, flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that Jesus prayed earnestly to the Father that the Father's will would be done. And he was heard. And he was obedient. And he suffered. And in those sufferings, he was made perfect. And he became the source of salvation for each and every one of you. You see, Jesus knows what it's like to face suffering and to pray for relief. And to hear no. He knows what it's like to submit his will to someone else. He knows and he has paved the way for each of you so that you can endure any suffering in this world. Jesus knows what it's like to suffer in a way in which we will never be called to do so that when you go through suffering, he can be with you so that he can pray for you, so that he can give his spirit to comfort you. He will walk with you through your suffering at every single step. And it is through his own suffering that he has become our sympathetic high priest. And so, Ironworks, you're not alone. Jesus knows what it's like to look into the unbearable face of suffering and to allow love and obedience to prevail. And Jesus was abandoned on the cross so that you will never, ever be forsaken. Now remember when I was a teenager and I went to Minneapolis and my heart sank into my stomach and I thought I was going to throw up? Friends, this message is what gave me courage. In God's providence, I kid you not, in his providence, in my Bible reading, in a devotional book that I was reading, it had me read the crucifixion of Jesus. 
And the content of the devotion said this, Jesus did the most difficult part of evangelism. He died for the sins of the people. All we need to do is go out and share. And as Jesus said to the Father, let's go. At that moment, when I read that, I broke out into tears and I said, let's go. I was changed. I was scared, but it was nothing compared to the love of Christ. So I said, let's do this. Ironworks Church, this cup that was set before Jesus in the garden, that caused such overwhelming grief that in his human nature, he shrunk back for a moment and caused him to endure such inward turmoil that his body broke out with blood clots. As Jesus looked into the face of wrath inside that cup, he took it and he drank it down to the dregs for you. He did that. He drank the bitter cup so that we could come to this table and drink the cup of blessing. He drank the cup of God's wrath so that you could have God as your father. He drank the bitter cup so that you could have every blessing in his kingdom. So let us come to this table as Ramon leads us there.